Today we're going to talk about true love. We're going to talk about true love. And I'm going to start with a verse that is very popular. And towards the end, I'm going to close with that very same uh, verse of scripture also. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, from verse 4. It talks about the definition of, of love. That's what we, we're going to close with. And just bear with me because there's a lot that I want us to go through tonight. And sometimes it may look like it's not relevant, it's not related to what you're going to talk about, but trust me, trust me, uh, you will see how it's connected. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, the Bible says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Verse 7, love never gives up. And this is what I'm going to close uh, with towards the end. Love never gives up. Never loses faith. It's always hopeful. And endures through every circumstance. For those of you who have been with us for some times, for the past few weeks, we uh, were talking about the series on Jesus as the I am. John, the author of the book of John, he picked some statements and some miracles that we that he thought they are very important for us as his readers or audience to know. And the Bible puts it very clear. It says the purpose of these signs, those miracles, he call them signs. The purpose of this science, it's so that you may believe. You may believe in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And now he also identified some I am statements that Jesus spoke. And the purpose is for Jesus to let us know that he is God in human form. When Jesus was here, he was fully human, 100% human. And at the same time, he was 100% God. 100% God. And the fact that he said he is God, that is what put him in trouble with the authorities and the priests. He said, you, you can't, I mean, you are just a human being. You are not God. And when he kept on saying, I'm God, and they could not understand it. They could not understand it. It confused them. It confused them. Actually, that was one of the charges that they laid against him, that he claims to be God. He claims to be God. He claims to be the son of God. So for the past few weeks, we have been talking about the statements, statement I am, statement I am. And this statement is a statement that Jesus, you know, he, he said those statements with the understanding that people will understand that he's fully God and he's fully man. And that's why he had those 
those statements. When God identified himself to, uh, to Moses, he identified himself as the great I am. He identified himself as the great I am. And because of that, uh, most of the Jews or the, let me say the, the Hebrews, they knew God as the great I am. They knew God as the great I am. So when Moses encountered God in a burning bush, God directed Moses to go back to Egypt and deliver the Hebrews from slavery. And Moses was supposed to lead them through to the promised land. So while he was, you know, con uh, he had a conversation with God as they were talking, Moses finally asked God one question in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. He asked God a very simple but serious question, and we're going to interrogate that question in a minute. The question that Moses asked God was, so, so when I go back to the people, and the people say, what, what is the name of the God who sent you? What, what should I tell them? What is your name, God? Who is it that is sending me? Now, now that question was very important because the Egyptians had so many gods. The Egyptians, they, they had so many gods. In natural fact, the ancient Egyptians, they, they worshipped about 1,400 gods. They worshipped about 1,400 gods. So, because of that, it was very difficult for them to believe any other God. I mean, there were more than 1,400 different gods and goddesses in Egypt. In all their shrines, their temples, and even in their own homes, they had so many gods. And these gods were the center of their religion, the center of their worship for, for more than, more than 3,000 years. That's what, those are the, the gods that the Egyptians had. You know, it's very interesting. They had a God for everything. They had a God for fertility, a God for the dead, God for sex, God for anything, God of chaos, God of violence, God of the desert, you know, the God of the storms. There's so many gods. And some of the gods, like one of the gods was Ra, R-A, R-A. That's the God of the sun. And the radiance. Another god was called uh, God Thought. T H O T H, God of Knowledge and Wisdom. They had also had God, you know, Anabis, God of the Dead. Also, Rise, God of the Underworld. Horus was the God of the of the Sky. Now, out of this 1,400 gods, your responsibility was to please each one of them, was to make sure that every god is happy. If one of the gods is angry, then you are in trouble, or your whole community will be in trouble. 
So you have to make sure that you, you have as many shrines as possible, as many sacrifices as possible, trying to please all these gods. If, 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 if you want God, for example, the God of fertility, if he's angry, they believe that if the God of fertility is angry, then he won't give birth. So you have to do something to please this God. If you are sick, the God of health is angry. Just imagine how difficult it will have been for you to please all these gods so that you can have a better life. You had to please every god. So all the Hebrews, all that they knew in Egypt was that there are so many gods. There are more than 1,400 gods. And that will be the first question that they will ask Moses when he goes back to them and say, God says he wants to set you free. They will look at Moses and say, which god are you talking about? What is the name of that God? That is why that question was very important for Moses to ask God. Very, very important. It was a crucial question. They will, they will ask Moses, which God are you talking about? Which God has sent you? What is the name of that God? So now you understand why Moses had to ask God that question. That is the reason when God gave them the laws in the book of Exodus chapter 20. Remember the first law? The first law that he gave them was, you shall not have any other God besides me. What a relief. You shall not have any other God beside me. After they left Egypt, after they moved out of Egypt, God says to them, you shall not have any other God beside me. It was after they crossed the Red Sea, when they arrived in the Mount Sinai, it was about 10 days or so after they left Egypt. They camped in Mount Sinai. And that's where God spoke to Moses in the mountain. So the first law was in reference to worship, in reference to God, and he said, you shall not have any other God. I'm telling you that was a big, big relief. He wanted them to understand that they will be a monotheistic nation. The Egyptians were polytheistic nation. Mono means one. Theo means God. That's how we have the word theology, the study of God. From now on, you will have only one God. You'll be a monotheistic nation. Only one God. I'm telling you, that was the first time, that was the first thing that God wanted to address with them. Just imagine how relieving that must have been for them. So they ask themselves, so you don't have to please? You mean, are you sure? Are you sure? So you don't have to please 10 gods. You don't have to please 100 gods. You don't have to please 500 gods. You don't have to please 1,400. So you're saying it's only one God? So now you just have to live for one God and one God only? And that will be enough? And Moses said, yes, only one God. Only one God. So Moses asked God, who are you? Which of those gods? that they have in Egypt. And God responded, responded to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And God says, you tell them that I am is sending you. I am is sending you. I am in Hebrew is Eye, Asha, I am. That I am. Eye, Asha, Eye. I am that I am. I am all you need. 
I'm all in one. You can't name me. You can't give a name to me. I'm everything. You can't describe me. My brother, my sister, if your God is describable, then he's too small to be a God. He says, I am. I'm a God that cannot be described. You, you can't put me in a box. You can't put me in a name. I'm everything you need. If you put a specific name to me, then you limit me to that name. He's an open-ended God. He's all that you need in your life. He's all that you need. You can put anything that you need, and he is that in your life. He says, I am who I am. I am your healer. I am your provider. I'm your redeemer. I am your savior. I am your lover. I'm your true love. Aye. Asha. Aye. I'm everything that you need. I am everything that you need. I'm everything that you need. And that's what God said. I am that I am. And let me say this. Since then, since that time when they knew God as the great I am, the Hebrews knew God as the great I am, or Yahweh, or Jehovah. You know, I'm, I'm from South Africa. In my culture, you do not call a person who's older than you by his or her first name. If you are younger than me, you always find, you know, a way to address them different in a respectful way. It is very disrespectful if you call somebody who's older than you by their first name. But here in the US, it's a, it's a different culture. You know, young kids, they call anybody by their first name, which it's, it's a cultural thing. Now, I remember when, when we were still young, we were still in elementary school, there was this friend of mine his, his father, his name was Robert. But this, this young man, he didn't know the name of his father until around grade four or so. All he knew was, he's my father. He thought father was his name. Actually, you know, uh, I didn't know the first name of my school principal, I think until around grade six or so. I didn't know his first name. Because that, that's how we respect people who are older than us. In fact, in actual fact, even today in South Africa, most school teachers, maybe let me say 90% of the school teachers, they, they don't tell their, their first names. All you will get, all you will hear is their initials or their last name. Even in the staff, the staff rooms, the school teachers, you know, they call them, they call each other by their last name or their initials. That's, that's a culture. That's a culture. And to them, that is a form of, uh, that is a form of, uh, of respect. To them, that's a form of respect. But what I'm trying to say is, we, we have different cultures. We have different cultures. And that's how they, they show the respect also. So they could not call God by his first name. So the Hebrews, 
had so much reverence, so much respect and honor for God that they will not even mention his name. They will never say Yahweh. That was so disrespectful. Or Jehovah. Or I am. Never. Never. Because God has introduced himself as the I am. So they will never, you know, mention or say I am. They will never even say that name. Devout Jews, out of reverence of God or for him, never say his name, even today. Even today. So instead, they substitute his name and just say, my Lord. Just say, my Lord. And my Lord in Hebrew is Adonai. Adonai simply means my Lord. They, they rather say Adonai than say I am, than say Jehovah, than say Yahweh. They will just call him my Lord. My Lord. And they will always use capital letters to write his name. That's why even today, when you write the name of our God, you put a capital letter G. But if you put a small letter G, then it means any other gods, one of those 1,400 or 1,400 gods of the Egyptians. But to differentiate him, to distinguish him from all the other gods, they have to put a capital letter G. The same thing with Lord. He's different from any other Lord. That's why it's capital letter L. Capital letter L. You know, every time when the Hebrews read and found his name written, they will skip. They will skip it. Or they will just say, my Lord, or Adonai, instead of saying Jehovah. In actual fact, even today, if you look at the, uh, the New King James Version, even today, they replaced God's name, Jehovah, with Lord, or Yah, Y-A-H, Yah. In the New Testament, the Hebrews got confused when Jesus came. And he used the same phrase, I am. That is what confused the Jews. He introduced himself as the I am. Nobody, nobody is allowed to say that. So this phrase was only reserved for God Almighty. Every time Jesus used the name or the phrase I am, he was saying to them, I'm God. I'm God. So he's using the same language, the same phrase that God has used when he identified himself in Exodus chapter, chapter 3, verse 14. Now in the gospel of John, Jesus used the same I am statements. Just to help us understand how he relates to humanity. And so if you have been with us for the past few weeks, you'll have noticed that we're going through some of those statements. And there are about seven statements that John has identified. The first one is, I am the bread of life. John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the door. John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11, chapter 10, verse 11 and 14. I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 11, verse 25. I am the way and the truth and the life. John chapter 14, verse 6. And the last one, I am the vine. I am the vine. So today we're going to look at number four. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. 
And next week, as we move towards, uh, you know, the death and the resurrection of Christ, Easter, we'll see I am the resurrection and the life. We'll focus more on the death and the resurrection of Christ next week. Jesus says, I am a good shepherd. I'm a good shepherd. You know, when, God, when Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd, Jesus, what he means is, he is the one who leads us. And I'm going to read in John chapter 10, verse 11, and see what he says when he says, I am a good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. Verse 13, the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care. He doesn't really care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And they know me. Just as my father knows me. And I know the father. So I sacrifice my, my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too. That are not in this uh, sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock. With one shepherd. You know, sheep and shepherds were a very common theme in Jesus' day. Actually, does the day-to-day talk. You know, they were living in an agricultural society, unlike today where most people live in the, in the urban area. And most of us who don't even have space to practice agriculture where we are. Land is too expensive. And it's just not uh, easy if you're in an, in an urban area. You need big space to practice agriculture. So today's economy is mostly driven by technology more than agriculture. So during that time, much of their livelihood was dependent upon things like farming, you know, fishing, uh, agriculture, livestock. So people will live next to the, the water source for their survival. You know, where I am in, in California, you know, it, it doesn't even rain. It just rains once or twice a year. But it's highly populated because they're able to bring water where we are. It's almost a, like a desert kind of, it's just dry. So what they will do, they will always try to live around the, uh, the Jordan River or around the Galilee area where there was water. So about 90% of Jesus' parables were related to agriculture, and it makes a lot of sense. They will understand what he was talking about. He will talk about, he will talk about the sower. He will talk about the seed. He will talk about the vine. He will talk about branches. He will talk about fruits. He will talk about the separation of goats and the sheep. Almost everything was agricultural related, and it made a lot of sense to his audience at that time. So when Jesus talked about the sheep and the shepherd, the people of his day, they understood what he was talking about. They understood this illustri illustration very well. 
the sheep and the shepherd. And he was referring to the relationship between us and him. He talked about him being our shepherd. Now in the Bible, there are about, I mean, 400 uh, or so references to sheep. Whether it's in the Old or in the New Testament, it's full about sheep, sheep, sheep. And there are about 100 or so reference to shepherds. And all of us, Bible says we are sheep. What do you know about the sheep? The sheep are helpless. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep are senseless. Sheep are directionless. Sheep are dirty. Sheep are timid. They are fearful. Sheep are oily. And they help to produce wool. But one other thing about the sheep, sheep are not aggressive at all. They're not aggressive. That's all that we know about the sheep. They have no sharp teeth. They don't have jaws of steel like other animals. They don't have claws. They don't have fast legs. They don't run fast. They're not even threatening at all. So because of all these reasons, sheep completely depend. They depend on the shepherd. They completely depend on the shepherd. Not only for their well-being, but also for their survival. They depend on the shepherd. They can't survive without the, the loving care of a shepherd. They only live well under the, uh, the, under the care of a good shepherd. So when Jesus talked about sheep and the shepherd, it made a lot of sense to them. Made a lot of sense to them. And sometimes, you know, it was very common for shepherds to hire somebody to help manage their, their sheep also. You know, a good shepherd will manage maybe up to 500 sheep. But beyond that, he will find some help. And because of, you know, you have to run around up and down, sometimes you get tired and they will need some help. So they will hire somebody to come and take care of their sheep. They will come and take care of their sheep. They will hire somebody and they pay them. Maybe they pay them per day or maybe per, I don't know, per week or per hour. I don't know. But they will hire somebody and they pay them for taking care of their sheep. And that's why Jesus speaks about the difference between the, the real good shepherd and the one who is hired. And he said, I am not hired. I'm the real shepherd. I'm a good shepherd. I'm a good shepherd. So we have to understand what he meant by being a good shepherd. And the Bible speaks, you know, frequently about us being the sheep. The first one is Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. Isaiah 53, verse 6, it's referring to us also as sheep. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Psalm 100 verse 3. Acknowledge that, that the Lord is God. He made us. And we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Psalm 23. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. So there are so many references that God refers to us. As his sheep. As his sheep. God knows us. 
He knows that we are his sheep. And he knows what we need. That's why he tenderly takes care of us. He knows we all have a need to be cared for. All of us have a need to be loved. And God takes care of us. Let me say this. Feeling loved, being loved, is a primary emotional need for all human beings. All of us want to be loved. All of us. When you are loved, you feel emotionally satisfied. All of us, we have a need to be loved, to be accepted. To be accepted, even in your pain, even in your failures. All that you need, if you can get somebody who will continue to believe in you, who will continue to love you, who will continue to encourage you, you just feel much, much better. You just feel, feel, you feel much, much stronger and encouraged. Why? Because all of us, we feel we need to be loved. We need to be loved. We need to be cared for. We need somebody to show us that they care, that they love us. Why did Jesus say we are like sheep? Yes, we are like sheep because we are, sometimes we are senseless creatures. We do things that do not make sense. Sometimes we do things that do not make sense. We are dating. We are sinful. We're just like sheep. We're in need of attention. We are in need of love. We are in need of care. All of us, we need to be loved. We need to be cared for. And Jesus says, he's not just a shepherd, but he's a good shepherd. He's the ultimate, perfect, good shepherd. He's a shepherd that we all need. And the question is, what makes Jesus to be a good shepherd? Why does he identify himself as a good shepherd? And I'm going to talk about some few things that make him a good shepherd. The first one is he's sacrificial. In John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd sacrifices his life. Sacrifices his life for the sheep. He sacrifices his life for the sheep. In verse 15, he says, just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I give my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. A good shepherd, he stands in the way of harm to protect his sheep. Jesus always is there to protect us. A good shepherd will risk his life. He will fight against predators. He will fight against wolves. He will fight against lions. He will fight against thieves and robbers to protect his sheep. He will fight against anything that will, that will, that will want to harm or destroy the flock. David, in the Old Testament, was a great shepherd. He was a great shepherd. He would always protect his flock. He would always protect his sheep. You remember he killed the lion. He killed the bear. They were coming to, to eat the, the sheep because he was a good shepherd. He will sacrifice his life. He will risk his life for the sheep. Nobody can steal the sheep of a good shepherd. Good shepherds do not run away when danger comes. Good shepherds always stand in the way and fight for their sheep. They defend their sheep. They protect their sheep. A good shepherd is always willing to, to lose his life in order for the sheep to live. 
Jesus says, I'm that good shepherd. I'm that perfect shepherd. To anyone who receives me, Jesus sacrifices his life for you and for me. The ultimate love is when someone sacrifices his life so that another person could live. That is exactly what he did for us because Jesus is a good shepherd. This is exactly what Jesus did for you and me. When he went to the cross, he laid down his life for us because he's a good shepherd. Another thing which identifies Jesus as our good shepherd is his true love. His true love. If ever there is a word that many songs have been sung or composed about, more than any other word in this world is the word love, L-O-V-E. L-O-V-E. Whether it's in the church or it's in the secular music, the word that is sung about more than any other word is the word love. Unfortunately, if ever there is a word that has been misunderstood, more than any other word in this world is the word love, L-O-V-E. If ever there is a word that has been misused, more than any other word in this world is the word love. Now, when a person comes to you, especially you ladies, when a person comes to you and he says to you, I love you, how, how do you know? How do you prove at that point that is genuine or not? How do you know if he's honest or not? You know, I remember when, when COVID, you know, hit, and at the peak of, of COVID, almost every entrance, whether it's in the hospital, clinic, school, a company or every entrance, store, you know, Walmart, everywhere, Target, Checkers, ShopRite, Pig and Pay, anywhere, almost every entrance, they had a guy with a, thermo, a thermometer to check your temperature. You know, who, whoever thought, whoever thought that in our lifetime, a security guard will check the temperature of a medical doctor <laughs> or a nurse. Unfortunately, there's no test tube. There's no thermometer to check when someone says, I love you. There's no way you can check whether it's genuine or not. You just take it by faith. You just believe that it means it. Even atheists, people who do not believe in God, when it comes to love, they just believe when a man or a lady approaches and says, I love you. They just believe that. There's no way you can prove it. You can't check his heart. You can't check his heart. I mean, you talk about sacrificial life. You talk about a shepherd who's sacrificial. A shepherd who's sacrificial. Jesus is that shepherd who's sacrificial. Jesus is that shepherd who is always loving us, who always loves us. He doesn't love us by what he says, but he loves us by what he does. He loves us by showing his love for us, by doing something about love. He's not a shepherd by just saying it, and you can't prove it. You can't show it, but he loves us. And the Bible says the way he showed that he loved us, it's when he sacrificed his life. 
It's when he sacrifices his life. Let me say this, God's love, Jesus' love is unconditional. All human love is conditional. People love you because they have a reason. They love you because you are short. They love you because you are tall. They love you because you, you are thin. They love you because you are beautiful. They love you because maybe you have some money. You may not have all the money. You may not be rich, but at least you have something. You have some money. At least they'll be able to live. Some people, they love you because of your profession. They love you because of your job. Some, they love you because you have a house, you have a shelter, you have a place to stay. Some people, they love you because you are healthy and strong. Some people, they love you because you can walk. How many people will still love you if you have lost any of these things? Let me say this. Men and women, they love us because they have a reason. But God loves us in spite of. People love you because of what they do not know about you. This is very important. People love you because they do not know about your, maybe your past history, your failures. But God loves you because of what he knows about you. God knows your weaknesses. People do not know some of your weaknesses. God knows your failures. People do not know about some of your failures. God knows your disappointments. People do not know some of your failures and the disappointments in your life. If they knew, some of them will not even love you. If they knew what you have gone through in your life, they may not love you. That is why, that is why, this is very important. That is why the day your wife or your husband discovers your failures and they discover your, uh, your, your weaknesses, they discover your, your sinful nature, they leave you, they divorce you because they are shocked. That's not what they expected from you. And they will say, well, we, we are separated because of irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable differences. What it simply means is I discovered something about him. I discovered something about her that I never expected. Now, because they discovered something that they were not aware of about you, they decide to leave you. God is the opposite. God is the opposite. Most of you have been disappointed a lot by men. Some of you have been disappointed a lot by women who claimed to love you. And you later realize that they did not love you. They just wanted to take advantage of you. There are things that they wanted in you. And once they get them, then they don't care about you anymore. All they wanted was your money. All they wanted was your title. All they wanted was your body. You know, they just want to be proud of it and to, uh, you know, to boost about it. Oh, I'm married to a school principal. I'm married to, uh, I'm in love with a manager. I'm in love with a doctor. I'm in love with a teacher. I'm in love with a nurse. Jesus says he's a good shepherd. He loves you with your failures. His love is the only true love. True love is not found in a magazine, in a true love magazine. True love is not found in another human being. People love you because they have reasons. That's why human love, it's conditional. It's conditional. 
People will love you as long as you meet their needs. You will you, they will love you as long as you keep giving them what they want. As long as you keep performing. The moment you stop performing, they don't love you anymore. God's true love, it's not based on your performance. In actual fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, but God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Even when you're still a sinner, Jesus still showed his love for you because he's a good shepherd. He's a caring shepherd. He's a loving shepherd. And let's go back to our definition of love and see if you're experiencing the following from the person who loves you. We go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we started. From verse 4, the Bible says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no records of being wronged. Verse 6, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. I love verse 7. Love never gives up. Love never gives up. And that's what Jesus did to us. That's what Jesus did to you and to me. Love never gives up. Never loses faith. And is always hopeful. And endures through every circumstance. Jesus demonstrated his true love for you and for me. He's a sacrificial shepherd. He's a loving and a caring shepherd. And as I'm speaking right now, maybe you feel unloved. I know, maybe some of you feel rejected. You feel rejected. Maybe you have been lied to. Somebody told you they love you and later you realize that they do not love you at all. They just loved your things. They loved your body, not you. They loved you because you were healthy. They loved you because you have a job. Once you lose a job, their love is gone. Maybe as I'm speaking right now, you are in pain. You have been disappointed so many times. And some of you even have, have reached a point where you have given up. You don't even believe in the so-called love anymore. Maybe someone told you that he or she doesn't love you anymore. Let me say this to you, my brother, my sister. There's a God who loves you. There's a God who has true love and affection for you. Maybe it's because as I'm speaking right now, you feel a sense of guilt because you did something wrong in the past. Maybe even in the present. Maybe you lived a life of sin and unfaithfulness and you still feel guilty. You may be feeling unworthy and you keep telling yourself that God does not love me. God is not like your old husband, your ex-husband, your ex-wife, your ex-boyfriend, your ex-girlfriend who will keep reminding you of what you have done wrong. That's not the God that you serve. 
That's not the God that you serve. You know, the devil might always try to convince you. Tell you that you, nobody loves you. And God will never forgive you. God will never forgive you. And the enemy may play games and tricks with your thoughts. And he wants you to believe that God loves everybody, but he does not love you. Things are not going well with you because God does not love you anymore. Whatever the reason might be. I just want to invite you tonight. I want to invite you today to accept the love of God. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what you have gone through in your life. There is a good shepherd. There's a great I am who loves you. There's a God who loves you. It doesn't matter what Facebook says about you. It doesn't matter what your friends say about you. It doesn't matter who says what about you. But I know it. God loves you. And he wants to be a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's a caring shepherd. Nobody cares like Jesus do. Nobody. Nobody in this whole world. Nobody loves you more than Jesus does. Nobody. He loves you. He wants to be a shepherd. He wants to take care of you. He wants to take care of your fears. He wants to take care of your vulnerability as a sheep. He knows you. He knows you and he knows your past. He knows your failures. He's a personal God. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is our shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. He's a personal shepherd. Personal shepherd. He loves you as an individual. He does not love you as a group. He doesn't love you as a country, as a team, as a church. You know, when we reach heaven, God is not going to call, now it's time for America to come forth. No, 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 no. He doesn't treat us as a group or as a country, as a nation. God is a personal God. He loves you as a person, as a human being. He loves you as an individual. He knows your name. The Bible says he knows your name. He even knows the number of your head, in your head. That's how much he knows you. That's how much he knows you. He wants to take care of you as an individual. He knows you by name. People may forget your name. Have you ever met somebody in town or in the mall and you can't remember their name, but they remember you. And sometimes you're even afraid to ask them their name. And maybe ask the person that you're with after the person has left. But who is that? What's her name, by the way? It always happens with me when I'm with my wife. And sometimes she remembers their, their names. And sometimes I'm not good at names. God is not like me. He remembers you. He knows what you're going through right now. Even the darkest moment of your life. Some of you are going through the valley. The darkest valley of your life. As I'm speaking right now. Some of you have been rejected by the people that you thought they love you. He's a personal God. He loves you. And he knows you by name. As I'm going to pray, 
I want to ask you to pray with me. Put your faith in God. Put your trust in God and know that there is a God who loves you. There is a God who accepts you. He accepts you as you are. He knows how weak you are. He knows you have failed in the past. He knows you have not been doing right in the past, but he still loves you with that knowledge. Remember I said to you, God loves you because he knows everything about you. There's nothing that you can hide. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your failures. Even those things that nobody knows. Those things that you have told yourself, I will take this to the grave. It's my secret. God knows where you have failed. You can't hide. And he loves you with your faults. He loves you with your failures. He loves you with your disappointments. Men may reject you. But when a man rejects you, God accepts you. God accepts you. God is always willing to receive you. With your failures. With your blunders. With your pain. It's my prayer today that God will encourage you and strengthen you. Whatever you're going through, there's a God who loves you. There's a shepherd who cares for you. The great I am. He says, I'm the great shepherd. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you tonight. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do in our lives. We thank you that, God, you continue to show us your love, your goodness. You're a good shepherd. You're a good shepherd. You love us. We should not run away from you, but we should run to you. I pray that, God, you will help us, oh God, to know and to understand that you are a God who loves us, even in our failures, even in our blunders. You still love us. I pray that God will help each one of us. I pray that God will touch each one of us. I pray for the help, the guidance, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That Lord, you will do it today. I pray for those who do not know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I pray that God will touch them and help them, oh God, to become who you want them to become, to become the children of God, to become. The Bible says, for all those who have accepted and believed in him, he gave them the authority to become the sons and daughters of God. And I pray, Father, for those who are saying yes tonight, we want to become the children of God. Touch them, Lord. Some of them are going through pain right now. Some have lost their loved ones. Some are going through a difficult and a challenging season in their lives. I pray that God will bring healing in their lives. I pray for emotional healing. That God will do your work in their lives. I thank and I bless you for all that you do. Because you are so faithful. You are trustworthy, your God. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. We bless you, Lord. We give you all the glory and all the honor. Because you are always there for us. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Once again, thank you so much, brothers and sisters, for joining us tonight. It's a blessing to have you here. 
we are no longer live, so feel free to, uh, you know, to uh, turn your mic on and be able to uh, 